Hello and welcome to the Think MHK podcast presented by the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce. On this podcast, you will hear about a variety of local matters pertaining to the business community. You also hear from local business owners to hear their story and gain valuable business insights. Thanks for tuning in today. With me for this segment is Darren Solden, Director of Economic Development for the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce. Hey, Darren. Hey, Jason. Great to be here. And speaking of economic development, we are going to focus in this segment on economic development, which is one of the primary duties of the chamber and one of our primary activities. And with us today is Matt Crocker, who serves as the chairman of the Economic Development Committee. Thanks for being with us, Matt. Hey, you bet. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up at SPS in Manhattan. Uh, Well, this is actually my third time living in Manhattan. Uh, I was born in Manhattan. Uh, My parents moved me away before I was school-aged. Uh, But I returned for college at Kansas State, and then after that left for, I guess, the real world, ultimately returning back here 16 years ago to join SPS. I guess I'm a three-timer so far. So what is SPS? Well, SPS originally started as Kansas Hide and Wool in Manhattan back in 1933, and uh, it was over close to Second and Osage. Um, In the mid-1950s, Jack Goldstein, who was the son of the founder, transitioned the business to Steel and Pipe Supply, which is what most people are familiar with. Um, We were the big, ugly warehouse located where Best Buy sits today. Today, we do not have any operations in town, but we still have our corporate and business offices at Colony Square. And so why does SPS think it's important to be involved with the Chamber of Commerce? Well, as a company who has little customer presence in Manhattan, we're involved primarily for the well-being of the community and our, our employees live in. I have been fortunate to work for a company whose founders and leaders have encouraged community involvement. And to some extent, you could say it was actually expected that we reinvest our time back in the community. So today, as I lead the organization, I try to continue that message within our company. And the Chamber is one of those organizations that gives back to the community and that we want to be involved with. We appreciate your involvement. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about when you got involved in the Chamber and, and talk some about your experiences with the Chamber? You know, I think back about when I started getting involved, I think I'd say that uh, attending the regional leaders retreat, uh, I started doing that back in 2006. um, And I began serving on the board uh, of the chamber in 2014 uh, and have been actively engaged uh, in the chamber ever since then. You know, I've found my involvement in the chamber to be very rewarding. Um, I've gained a much deeper understanding of nearly all aspects of our community. Uh, I have worked and met with people I likely would not have otherwise met and had the opportunity to feel like I was really making a difference for the community. And you had the opportunity to serve as chair in 2018, which was a time of transition. It's it's when Law Butler announced he was retiring. And so you had to head up a tr- uh, transition and to hiring a new president, which thank you, by the way. Um, but welcome. talk about that process and that year. And, and what are some of the things that that you felt like the chamber was able to accomplish during your time as as chair and on the executive committee? Yes, it was a time of considerable transition for the chamber specifically. Um, As you mentioned, we had the uh, search process on its way. Uh, Wayne Sloan chaired that since he was going to be the incoming chair behind me. So he really deserves a lot of the credit for the the, um, heavy lifting on that part. But um, yeah, I mean, anytime you have a transition, it takes a lot of time for communicating. Um, the other aspect, uh, although I wasn't the um, originator of the idea, I was responsible for leading the creation of the business-led economic development plan, which was known as the Greater Manhattan Project. And that was a very rewarding experience, both from a perspective of the input it generated, 
and the output that was a result of that and the process of gathering so many community leaders together to have discussions and share terrific ideas and gain perspective. You know, I also, uh, as you mentioned the transition, as I look back, I also had the opportunity as chair to honor Lyle Butler's service to this community by announcing at the annual uh, meeting the renaming of the Leadership Manhattan Distinguished Service Award to the Lyle Butler Distinguished Leadership Award. So. Um, that was obviously a very uh, rewarding uh, aspect as well. You know, and then other than that, there was just a lot of time uh, communicating, reaching out to people. I did feel like I uh, did a good job under my chair of gaining some uh, collaboration between some of the parties in town. Um, with all of this transition, there obviously were a lot of opportunities for people to try to call it splinter off and go on their way. Um, but, you know, whether it be the the university and the city and some of the other chamber people, um, you know, I spent a lot of my time just trying to get people together and talk and making sure that we were all staying on the same page to move forward as a community together. So you talked a little bit about the Greater Manhattan Project, which of course became Region Reimagined. Yes. And so talk for a minute about exactly what Region Reimagine is and what it is not. The whole purpose of the Region Reimagine um, initiative was that we as business, the business community and leaders in the business community, were getting a little concerned that it was extremely difficult in the current political environment for elected officials to provide a long-term vision and strategy for our community. And that's nothing negative about our local officials. It's just as a, um, even on a federal level um, with the information age, it's just so much more difficult to take a long-term focus when you're, you're in an elected position. So we as the business community felt it was important that we try to provide that vision of what we felt like this community could become um, or should be. Uh, for years to come. And so that was really the process, is gathering input from people um, to create a strategic plan so that as we have elected officials come and go, uh, we had a strategy that we could point to and ask them to continue to support um, along the way. Um, and so I think we were pretty, pretty successful in that. Obviously, COVID uh, came in and caused a little bit of a bump of us getting along, but um, some of the things you'll hear today about economic development, some other items that you'll hear from the chamber, I think really point back to that strategic plan and getting some some action um, on those tactics. I know we, you and I have talked about it before. There are people who think that Region Reimagine is an entity or an organization. It was never intended to be an entity or an organization, correct? Yeah, that's a great, great comment. Um, there was a lot of confusion. Um, I think part of that, um, actually, as you know, reflecting back, there were some things and some steps that, that I took as uh, leading some of that. I probably could have been better at communicating, but it is a strategic plan. It is not an entity. The execution of the plan is the responsibility of numerous parties in, in the community. Some of those are chamber related. Some of them are the university, some are the city, but it is not an entity that has any employees directly. Uh, it's just a strategic plan. So Matt, you continue to lead a lot of our economic development efforts now as, as the Economic Development Committee Chair, and, and obviously Jason and I work very closely with you on that. Uh, why don't you tell folks a little bit more about uh, what is the Economic Development Committee and what does it do? It does a lot of things, but I would say if I were to describe um, you know, an elevator speech to people what the Economic Development Committee at the Chamber is responsible for, um, our primary objective is to hold the Chamber's economic development staff accountable for pursuing activities that create jobs in the Manhattan area, and many of those are outlined in 
in the Region Reimagined Strategic Plan. Giving a little bit more, the members of the community uh, include individuals who represent the top investors in our private fundraising campaign for economic development, which is Advantage Manhattan, along with some other ad hoc members that we felt needed to be included that represent other key partners, including the city, um, small business, Aggieville, downtown, for example. Tell us a little bit more about some of the priorities that we focus on uh, in our economic development efforts and specifically some of those that the Economic Development Committee oversees. Well, as I mentioned, the number one priority for the uh, ED committee is to create jobs. Um, and we try to accomplish that through various means. Currently, the committee is focused on strategies to improve available sites for industrial development in our area. Um, this has a, been a primary goal that was communicated at the annual meeting of our current chamber chair, Mark Beauchamp. We are also working on other workforce initiatives, such as affordable housing. We've been engaged in that process. Obviously, that's a very important aspect for our community. You hear a lot about it. And one of the things I'm excited about in our latest endeavor is the establishment of a task force to put forward an actionable plan to help improve our child care availability in the region. And, and the goal of that is to really increase the available workforce that we have for our businesses. The importance of that aspect and issue really surfaced through the business condition surveys that were conducted by the chamber and more specifically by George Kant of the chamber. And it was uh, the only top three issue from the survey that the chamber wasn't already actively working on. And so we felt it was important to uh, tackle that initiative. And we're just getting started on that. But I'm excited about the outcome that uh, that group will provide. Yeah, so there's a lot going on. We talk all the time about job creation, talk all the time about talent attraction, talent retention. In your own words, why is this important to the average citizen? Why, why should people in Manhattan care about economic development? The simplest way I can explain it is, frankly, it, it pays the bills, right? Um, we all enjoy having these quality of life amenities around town, and that's part of the reason why I came back to Manhattan, and I think a lot of people live here, is the quality of life here. But those require a strong economy to support the funding that those need. Um, and, you know, and as we look forward, I think uh, this year in particular, people have experienced the inflationary uh, aspects, but things aren't getting cheaper. And so to ensure that we can continue to have these amenities and the type of community that we want, we need to make sure we have a strong economy that's growing to continue to provide the funds to pay for those things. What are some of the challenges you see going forward? Uh, and obviously those challenges may lead to opportunity, but look into the future. What do you see coming down the pike? I think our biggest challenge in Manhattan is that what might have worked well in the past 20 years to drive our economy isn't likely going to be what drives it going forward. Explaining that to people and getting people to agree with that is going to take a little bit of effort. The opportunity we have, and, and this is where, I mean, I've, albeit COVID was a very painful experience, I think one thing COVID has done to help us is it has opened most people's eyes to understand the fact that things are going to be different going forward. The other aspect I think we have as a opportunity is we are starting from what I would describe as a fairly stable economic situation. I mean, certainly we have some had some setbacks with COVID and we have some challenges, but when you look around at some of the other areas um, or, or, or uh, communities that are making significant changes in their focus, it's usually because they're in a very dire situation. And we don't have that here. But we also have a tremendous number of people in this community who love Manhattan and, and I think are really willing to put forth the effort to drive us forward for another 20 years. So I'm very optimistic we will figure out what works. I, I guess one of the other comments I'd make is repeating a message I made at the chamber annual meeting at the end of my term as board chair was, change is debilitating when it's done to us, but exhilarating when done by us. And I guess I'd ask Manhattan to let's try to be exhilarating.
Well, Matt, thank you for joining us today. Um, we are, of course, at the Ad AstraCast studios, which is upstairs from your office. So it wasn't a long walk for you to, to join us, but, but we do know you're busy and you have a lot of things on your plate. Uh, I do want to thank you personally for your leadership in the transition from Lyle to, to my presidency, which, as I've said before, following a legend is very difficult. And you and Wayne and Larry and the other members of the executive committee made that much easier than it could have been otherwise. And so I want to thank you for that. Thank you for joining us today. Is there anything else you want to highlight as part of your chamber experience that we haven't had a chance to talk about? You know, I, I think my, my final comments were, as I somewhat alluded to earlier, is that the, the great people and business owners that we have in this community and how rewarding it is to get to meet those people, share different perspectives. And I encourage everybody uh, to look for opportunities to get engaged in the in the chamber, just for the opportunity to, from a social perspective, to get to meet some new people. Thank you, Matt. Okay, thank you. Hey, thanks, Matt. The Think MHK podcast is brought to you by the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce. Don't forget to subscribe and like the Think MHK podcast on your preferred podcast provider, and you will never risk missing an episode. If you enjoyed our show, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. To find out more about today's topic or other chamber activities, please go to manhattan.org. And now back to today's show. Welcome back to the Think MHK podcast. With me for this segment is my co-host, is Sharla Meisenheimer. Hey, Sharla. Hey, Jason. How are you? Good. Why don't you introduce our next guest? So it's my privilege to be able to introduce Ali Limbacher Swanson with Bacher Stew Catering. Hey, Ali. Thanks for coming to join us today. Thanks for having me. You were just recently, you're in your business, inducted into the Legacy Circle. And we talk about the Legacy Circle, and that's an award that the Chamber gives out to businesses that have been in the Chamber for 50 years. Talk to us a little bit about Bacher's 2 and the 50 years that you've kind of spent with the Chamber. What is that? What's that like for you? Well, I think that's a huge accomplishment. You know, my father started this business, obviously, 50 years ago when he became a Chamber member. Um, and for me to be able to continue that legacy for him has been an accomplishment for me. When you and I first talked about um, that you're going to be part of the Legacy Circle, you had some really great memories of growing up in Bakker's too, from when you were really little and you left and you came back. So one of them that I always think about is the story you tell about them being in the tunnels. Oh, yeah. That was when, um, so my grandfather, Cotton, had originally started the Chef Cafe, and my father had worked there, as my uncle did as, you know, teenagers. Before, the refrigeration used to be underground. Really? So from underground, you could get into the tunnels right there on 4th Street and Lake Points. Well, I guess at this one particular time, there used to be a bank on the corner, which is used to be celebrations of the hearts, but now is some it's a hair salon now. Gaia used to be a bank, I believe. Um, and a bank robbery was going on, and they were down in the tunnels and had popped one of the manholes and was trying to look out. And then <laughs> the cops thought that the uh, robbers were in the manhole. And yeah. So, Ali, it sounds like your family has a long history, not just in Manhattan, and that was that's a funny story, but but in the food service business. So yes. what made you decide to follow in those footsteps and get into the food service industry? Well, I think even from an early age, I always wanted to go to work with my dad. I mean, I would go wherever he was going, I wanted to go. And I always just, I just, I just loved working in it. I loved serving people, helping people, uh, figuring things out. Um, 
that was just one of my things I liked to do, I guess, when I was little. And, and how long have, have you been with the company? I came back in 2008. Okay. So I always say when you're born into a family business, you really never really leave. Because even when I did leave, I left in my early 20s, went to Kansas City. I decided that I needed to see what else was out there. I didn't go far, but I went far enough um, to do something completely different. And I did, but I still came back when my dad would call me. I need some help this weekend. Sure, I'll come back. I'll help. I was there for about 10 years until my dad called and he said, okay, I think I'm getting ready. I think I'm getting close to, you know, wanting to retire. I said, okay, great. I packed up and I moved back. Well, we're glad you did. Well, thanks. One of the things that I always enjoy about those awards is getting to hear and see the history of the company. So, Allie, we talked a lot about the history of Bockers II. Tell me about your uh, operations today. Where are you located and what services do you offer? Well, let's see. We are located at 221 North 4th Street. We moved there in 2018. Uh, when I first came back in 2008 and started uh, working in the business again with my dad, uh, my 10-year goal was to have a small event space. With that time that I'd been here, been there with Bockers, we had kind of exceeded our capacity where we, where we were at. We couldn't take on any more business. And so my thought behind it was, well, if I can find a space to move the business to that I could do in-house events, that would free that up. So in 2018 is when we started the construction down there on 4th Street, uh, put in a third hood system, made the front area a nice seating for, you know, 60, 80 inside there, which is a nice size for an event. So some of the services that Bockers 2 has is we do uh, a lot of weddings. We do on-site events, off-site events. Um, we'll go to people's homes. Um, we can provide food services, bartending, alcohol services, um, and we have wedding reception packages, um, centerpieces, and even for non-wedding events, we can provide linen services, centerpieces. We can do an event coordinator for your event. I try to make it kind of a spot where you can do kind of an all-inclusive. And I was amazed at some of the events that Bockers has participated in mm -hmm. over the year, over the years, including the opening of the mall. You right. All, you all did the catering for that. Talk about what a big spread that was. I mean, I, as I looked at it, it looked like quite a quite a venture uh, for a small catering company. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a big deal. Um, I can remember my dad talking about it, and I think I about that time I think I was about ten maybe 12 not quite sure but i remember the hard work that he put into it and i remember them you know my parents talking about it and trying to put together these different arrangements like displays um, ice carvings uh, my uncle always did the ice carvings and she was very talented at those so that was quite an event uh, sounds like something i wish i could have seen uh, but what are some other memorable events maybe that you've had uh, as a caterer in manhattan well, there's many. I know, remember one we did when the uh, McDonald's East opened. They did a Mardi Gras theme, and we had all the characters there, uh, which was a really fun, neat event. We just did the Good Shepherd Wine and Dine event. Great event. They raise a lot of money. It's a nice auction. Uh, we do a lot with the cat backers. When I go to weddings, when I go to weddings, we do a lot of weddings. Weddings are always different. The details are different. Um, and we always have to remember that even though I may do um, a lot of weddings, 
in one year, every wedding that we do, it's their first. And that's something we, you know, like we have to remember. One memorable wedding that we had was the cake lady had come. She'd set the cake. She left a note that said, sorry, cake is unstable, but had to leave. I went, oh, dear. Um, I went to the back. I came back, and the cake had fallen. Oh, no. And I went, I have to fix this. How do I fix this? Can't get a hold of the cake lady. Um, I had run down to a local florist to try to get some sort of flowers, something to put on the front of that cake. Uh, Got that, came back, set it all up, took the rest of the cake in the back, salvaged what we could. Those are things that sometimes the caterer kind of gets pushed into, um, unbeknownst to us. (laughs) Sounds a little bit like life in the chamber world, huh, Charlotte? (laughs) It does a little bit, yes. (laughs) Charlotte's had a few of those emergencies to to fix at the last Mm. minute. Yes, that's absolutely true. So, but it sounds like it's something that you almost relish. It's something you you're gotten so used to, right? It's I kind do. Of, it's I kind do. Of your, what's what's gonna be new and different today? Well, and I always expect the unexpected. We are always the last ones there. So, and we're there throughout the entire event. So things do come up that we go, well, this isn't something normally we do, but we'll handle it. So, Allie, tell me a little bit about how Bockers started. Well, Bockers too started back in the old Ramada. It is now the Holiday Inn. Uh, at campus. Uh, my father used to run the food service there, kind of like where Houlihan's is. There was like a breakfast lunch place. Uh, Bockers 2 was actually the name of the fine dining area where you could go and have a nice meal that evening. Bockers 2 was there uh, through the through the 80s, uh, early 90s. Uh, then dad decided that uh, they were going to take Bockers 2 off-premise and just be an off-premise caterer. And you've had other restaurants through the years, correct? My dad has. Yeah. Um, I have not, but my dad oh, okay. has, but I've worked in uh, plenty of them. <laughs> um, he did used to have the Cotton Club, which was at the Wareham. He had Bobby T's was another one, which was a long-standing uh, business here in town. Um, he had a couple other businesses that, you know, they did and it didn't work. You know, that's part of mm-hmm. starting a business, taking that risk in a business and Seeing what works and what doesn't work. So tell me about the name. So what was the reason your dad decided to go with Bockers instead of just Lambockers? I don't know. Reason? I think it was they wanted the two, which the two was my dad and my uncle. Oh, okay. They went in together, so it was ah. Bockers too. So Lambockers too really kind of didn't, I don't think, float, but Bockers too does. So you answered you answered my second question okay. by what the two stood for because okay. it wasn't that didn't mean it was a second restaurant. It meant that there were two there were individuals two in the business. Yep. What advice do you have for uh, people who want to go into business? Uh, do your homework. Look at all aspects of what you're doing, all the way down to taxes, licenses. Those all uh, licenses cost you money. What licenses do you need? Um, I know the chamber holds a lot of classes too, uh, which I think are great. I know I, when I first came back, I went to a few of those classes, learning right. about taxes and learning about different things in the business, um, which I think are good things to do. And how to market, how to market your business. Does the place that you're in, the city that you're in, what is it calling for? Is it calling for that? Is it not calling for that? So you mentioned earlier that you guys joined the chamber when your dad first started mm-hmm. the business. What has kept you with the chamber? I think all the stuff the chamber has to offer. So chamber has classes, events, different marketing things, 
And I think being a part of the chamber is being a part of Manhattan. You know, it's being part of that community. And I think we have a great community with all of that. I mean, you could go to the chamber for about anything. I have been to several events that you've catered, and then I've been to several events in your space, and the food is always great. So you, are, you guys do a great job. Uh, now comes the fun part. So every, every show, uh, when we have our, our spotlight business on, we ask them a series of rapid-fire questions. And so Sharla is going to kick that off okay. with 10 questions. Something people often find surprising about you. That I played tennis, and I was uh, number one in the state of Kansas my last year of um, high school. Wow. Yeah. What's your pet peeve? When people don't put things back where they belong. <laughs> What's your favorite holiday? Christmas. I do oh. love some Christmas. Favorite snack? Animal crackers. Really? Yeah. That's fun. <laughs> Best childhood memory? Uh, my dad and I used to go on hikes. So we'd whether it be over at Warner Park. Um, local parks, whatever, we would pack a little sack lunch and go on a hike. That's cool. Uh, biggest lesson the pandemic taught you? How to overcome something that's out of my control. Great lesson. First and favorite concerts? Mm. Jackson 5 and Cool in the Gang. Jackson 5. <laughs> oh. Favorite meal? Mexican. Mm. Definitely. Texting or talking? Talking. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Who is the first person that comes to mind when you hear the word successful business person and why? I would say my dad. Uh, he's taught me so much over the years, whether it be in my personal life or in my professional life. Um, he was the best teacher I could have ever had for that. Um, he's taught me you can have some successful situations and you can have some not successful situations and it's how you come out of both of those and what you learn from both of those i've always said myself i always feel like you have to have some failures in order to succeed because otherwise how do you actually learn he's taught me that taught me a lot of that um and how to pick yourself up and keep going He's done a really good job. You're an amazing business person. And I know I could speak for probably everyone in the room that says we're grateful that you're here and that you came back and you stayed here. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be here with all of you. Allie, thank you for joining us on Think MHK. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Think MHK, a podcast produced by the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce. If you enjoyed the Think MHK podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe and share it out on your social media channels. Feel free to reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce.